I'm Dave Rubin and joining me today is the publisher of Skeptic Magazine, a presidential fellow at Chapman University, the host of The Michael Shermer Show, and author of the new book, I've got it right here in my hand, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. Michael Shermer, welcome back to The Rubin Report. All right, nice to see you, Dave. Nice to be back. It's good to see you, my friend. Now, before I do anything else here, uh, you have one of the largest stacks of books I've ever seen behind you. Is this some kind of ploy, like if there's uh, an earthquake or something, books crash on you, clip goes viral. It's very clever, very I'm, I'm clever. killed by a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> by a plethora of conspiracies, yes. It's Crushed sorry. by your own conspiracy <laughs> book. That would be odd. Uh, it is good to see you, my friend. Uh, we, we did about 30 seconds before we started recording here, but you have been on this show probably a dozen times in one car incarnation or another. Mm. Um, and uh, you also have written 400 billion books. I, I did the math on that. No, what, what is this for you? This is like 16, 18 uh, no, for you? What is it? 15th book, yeah. First one was, first real book, uh, as, as Mr. Skeptic was, Why People Believe Weird Things, 1997. So I average, you know, like two a year, something like that. This, although this conspiracy, this is, last real book was 2018, Heavens on Earth. So it takes me, you know, three to four years, really, on average. Uh, was to, this was this a little different? I mean, a lot your books obviously they're they're dense and thoughtful and interesting. And one of the things that I always credit you for is you you don't pretend you made up every idea. You credit people accordingly and you call back to people and all sorts of things. But there's a lot of research in this book. You had to dive into a lot of stuff. Does that make it uh, more fun or less fun to write a book where you're where you're unpacking and and going across? all sorts of mediums to figure out who believes what and why they believe it. I do like to cite uh, authors that actually do the work, unlike some authors <laughs> who, whom I won't name, not you. I mean, just, there's some academics. Thank you, not, thank you. There's some academics that are not especially generous about recognizing where they got that research. There's actually a huge body of literature on conspiracies and conspiracy theories, why people believe them, sociology of it, social psych, cognitive psych, you know, anthropology of beliefs and so on. There's a lot in there. So I summarize all that. That, but then try to push the frontiers a little bit with some of my own ideas. I constructed a three-part, tripartite, you might call it, or three-legged stool of, of uh, conspiracism, proxy conspiracism, tribal conspiracism, and constructive conspiracism. So there's kind of an overarching uh, theoretical model that holds together all the different parts. So while most of the details, of course, are other people's research, I've kind of put it all together in an integrative whole under that rubric. Yeah, and I really liked how you did that. So as you said, there there's sort of three sections to the book, a prologue that leads into it, but, th but then each one sort of leads into the next one. So I wanna get into some of that, but broadly speaking, uh, one of the questions I get the most these days, if I do a public event or if I'm doing a Q&A online or whatever, is people say to me, where do you get your news? How do you know what to believe? And I find it's getting increasingly more difficult to answer that. I, you know, we're all going into our little ideological echo chambers. I do my best to, to not be in there all the time, but it's, it's getting tough for everybody. And as I often say, if you're watching MSNBC, you basically live in a different world as the Fox News person. And right. I think everyone right now in a modern sense is struggling with this. So the, the book for that reason feels very relevant because I think everyone's going through some version of a conspiracy theory to some extent. Yeah, well, so here's one solution. Uh, I actually get print uh, newspapers every day. I get the New York Times, or say the uh, New York Times. Oh, where's my Wall Street Journal? 
here's my Wall Street. Okay, I got my Wall Street Journal. Oh, here it is. And the yeah. Wall Street Journal. There we go. So I add them up and divide by two to get the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so in my estimation, the Wall Street Journal would be far more factual than the New York Times, which I think has gone really off the deep end. As you know, you know, ba uh, Barry Weiss, they were, they were so out of control that Barry Weiss as a liberal felt she couldn't even yeah. stay there anymore. Yeah. So when you pick up the New York Times, are you basically going, all right, they screwed this one up. Ah, that's a deflection. This is a confusion. Et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, well, the Wall Street Journal, you know, separating the opinion section from the news section, uh, you know, they're both biased in each direction that we all know about. And that's true for any of the news sources you might want to name. You have to separate the like just even Fox News. If you just take the day, the daytime news reporters, they're very different from the evening, mm -hmm. more like entertainers. So I think if you know what you're looking at. But but my point is you, you can't rely on any one source. You, you have to go to multiple sources including online sources and just evaluate them. And there are sites that evaluate the uh, bias, liberal or c conservative bias of different uh, media sources. And you just have to do that. Uh, you know, and NPR, I don't trust so much anymore. AP, Associated Press, I, I feel is fairly objective about how they present things. No one's completely unbiased, of course, but some multiple sources. I mean, and that now there's so many online, really, you just have to kind of do a little bit of your own fact checking. And if yeah. you do, yeah. Well, is, isn't that almost one of the, the biggest problems we have in, in this technological adolescence that we're in, that the average person, that even if they want to stay informed on current events, what's going on in the world, the economy, whatever it might be, they don't have the time to, to right. go, okay, I'm going to read the Times and the Wall Street Journal, and I'll see what they're saying on Fox and MSNBC. And then they just kind of put their hands up. And they and they check out. I think I think we're getting a lot of that actually. So the the subtitle of the book, why the rational believe the irrational. My point is that uh, people that believe conspiracy theories are not tinfoil hat uh, idiots. They're, they're me and you. Everybody surveys show everybody believes at least one conspiracy theory, and one reason for that is my constructive conspiracism. A lot of them are true. <laughs> so you, it, right. it, pay, it pays to be a little constructively paranoid, uh, just in case. But. Uh, so for most, for the most part, most people are rational about their daily lives. You know, they, they get the kids off to school, they hold jobs, you know, they keep uh, gas in the tank and food in the fridge and they have a social life and they're just normal uh, about things that they could do something about. Now, if you take some of the big conspiracy theories, like the rigged election, say of 2020, I, how would I check that to know what's going on? I, you have to rely on sources that have the resources and access to check fact check things like that. I wouldn't even know who to call in Ohio mm -hmm. or Georgia or Arizona to ask, you know, what about that truck that pulled up at three in the morning? Because that grainy video was kind of suspicious, you know. So here we rely on people that we should trust. And we have traditionally, maybe not so much anymore. But for me, it, uh, whatever questions I had were put to rest when uh, Attorney General Bill Barr said, well, you know, we had the entire resources of the Department of Justice and we looked into it and we looked here and we checked that and so on and so forth and didn't find anything. It's like, okay, well, end of story, as far as I was concerned. Now, it's right. not what, what, do you say, what do you say to the people that will go, well, Bill Barr is just part of the machine that would produce that yeah. sort of lie? Because that, of course, as you know, you're the expert in this. I mean, conspiracies, they jump from one sort of dead, seeming dead end to a new place. And then a new place and a new place and a new place. So what do you say? Well, what I say is, well, then who, who do you trust? What is your source? You know, if you don't trust the entire Department of Justice, if you don't trust the Trump-appointed uh, uh, attorney general or all the uh, Trump-appointed judges in the uh, cases that he brought before the courts, 
and so on. Uh, who would you trust and why would you trust somebody else if not them? I like I, I like quoting uh, Christopher Hitchens when he says, which he got from somebody else, which was that if you hear the Pope say he believes in God today, you think, well, the Pope's doing his job again today. It's what he's supposed <laughs> to do. But if you hear the Pope say, you know, I'm having, beginning to have some doubts about God's existence, you think, huh, he might be onto something, right? So when somebody on your team or somebody you trust says something uh, that you can pretty much count on, if Bill Barr said, hey, I, I, you know, I found some suspicion, I'm, well, of course, he's a Trump appointee Republican. Maybe we need another source. But if he says, if he would be motivated to find fraud and he didn't, then I, uh, uh, to me, that ups the probability that there was no fraud in the election. That's just kind of how to think about that kind of conspiracy theory. Right. So since we're talking about the election, and I do think so much of what we now talk about related to fake news and this confusion has to do with the election, what would you say about the, the four years that Trump was president when basically half of the media or all of the mainstream media, in essence, was saying either he was a Russian plant or that that election was illegitimate or stolen? And then the second those people were on the other side, now we have Biden as president, they say you can't question anything and you're going to be booted off Twitter and YouTube and everywhere else if you do. That's pretty predictable. Everybody does that. If you go back in time, decades, pretty much every losing side in a presidential election or even uh, congressional races and senatorial races, the, the losing side thinks the other side did something. There was some shenanigans. There was some... And then they usually drop it after a few months and focus on the next election or whatever. So what's unusual this time is that you know Trump continues with the conspiracy theory, but that's but let's not blame Republicans because de Democrats do this also. Mm -hmm. It's pretty common because again, you know, there's so it's so complex. There's so many moving parts in a, in a national election. No one has access to all the information. So you know, there's always going to be some anomalies. You know, and then people go anomaly hunting, as we call it. And then you can always mm -hmm. find them no matter what. Uh, again, that blurry video of the truck that pulled up at three. And what is that? You know, OK, he had a box. OK, you know, there's always something like that. So we have to. Uh, so part of the problem is the lack of trust. We've always had trust in our systems that for the most part, they work pretty well. And uh, yeah, so that's. But again, like with Trump, you know, I've been pretty critical of Trump, particularly since, the, you know, that, in that last year. But pretty much everything else he did was pretty standard Republican stuff. You know, oh, he's lowering taxes. He's helping rich people get richer. He's tightening up the borders, foreign policy and so on. It's like that's his job, like the pope. That's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> you know, so it's it's only when like when uh, George H.W. Bush said, you know, read my lips, no new taxes. Then he raised taxes like what? You're a Republican. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Right. So we have expectations and Trump, you know, deregulation of the economy. That was pretty standard Republican stuff. Uh, and, and and Biden's doing what Democrats do. Right. I mean, so, you know, it's it's not fair to criticize either one as being extremists when most of the policies they're doing is pretty standard. What do you think, you, since you mentioned uh, trust, what do you think we can do, or not we, I suppose, the, the, whatever mainstream institutions that still exist at this point, and it's hard to tell to what degree they exist anymore, who's watching these things, how much influence do they have, how could they gain back trust? I, I think in most cases, if you were to take, say, the New York Times or CNN, I don't think there's a way back now. I, I think they've gone so all in on so much confusion and been so exposed as partisan players that... I don't know that they can come back from that. And maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. Uh, well, okay. So, but, but I'd say Fox News is, is, has the same problem. You know, they've kind of uh, dialed into a business model of, you know, ramping up the extremism on their side. 
uh, I don't know. You know, the Russia, you mentioned, you know, Russian gate and all that stuff, all those accusations against Trump, you know, most of which did not pan out. Those were conspiracy theories. You know, we think this happened and it turned out the Mueller report and so on. Oh, well, okay. That was kind of a nothing burger. That doesn't help. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, so that if you actually get something, it's like, yeah, well, you cried wolf so many times. So that's not a problem. So the, the the larger problem I see it is an erosion of trust across the board. Scientists used to be trusted. The CDC used to be trusted. Teachers, professors, the academy used to be you know high in uh, in trust. Not anymore. Um, and so in that my last chapter had a rebuild trust. You know that's a hard problem. You know, but I sign on with Jonathan Rausch's um, the Constitution of Knowledge. I think you had Jonathan on your show. Uh, uh, we talked briefly once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, but but this kind of commitment to like in journalism, fact checking, in science, peer review, uh, in the judicial system, you know, a fair uh, a confrontational uh, trial between two attorneys, you know, to get to the truth and uh, jury of your peers and so on. So there's, you know, here's kind of the conservative argument for maintaining institutions that have been around for decades or centuries. Uh, and the reason we keep them is because they work. We've been tweaking them for centuries, the legal system, the criminal justice system, journalism, really, um, maybe a century now they've had, you know, standards, actual standards, fact checking and editors and things like that. You know, that, that we rely on that and we just have to keep pushing back. That is, it's just not cool to make assertions without any evidence at all. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, I, I'm guessing, I think you either read, well, you certainly read it or maybe wrote a review of it even uh, in Jordan Peterson's last book, In 12 More Rules, I think the first of the new set of rules, you know, is in essence, you gotta be careful when you're burning down institutions because you don't know what will come on the other side. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. We don't trust the old institutions, but we don't know exactly what the new institutions are. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's classic Burke and conservatism. Edmund Burke uh, defended the uh, U.S. Uh, Revolution. Sorry, the <laughs> the Revolutionary War, but not but not the French Revolution. Uh, and and he was right, you know, because they tore down everything. Let's just start over, all, all the way down to a new calendar system, you know, and and new titles and uh, new days of the week. Everything's going to be different, and that didn't pan out so well. So, uh, and again, you know, certain institutions have been around that have been around for a long time. And they've been tweaked here and there to be more efficient and fair and just and so on. We should keep the, we should not throw them, uh, overthrow them too easily. And so you mentioned, you mentioned science before, and as a man of science and a man who likes facts, uh, having been through two years of COVID and you are in California, which I fled because of COVID <laughs> and, and lockdowns and masks and injections, you know, mandated injections, all of these things that I felt had nothing to do with science and I think in, or, or virtually nothing to do with science or, or, or a abuse of science, let's say. Um, how, how shaky do you think the scientific world is right now? I mean, Fauci just in the last couple of days saying, oh, I was never for lockdowns. And then it's like, we're playing videos on the show where he's calling for lockdowns yeah. a year ago. And remember when he said, when you criticize me, I am the science, you're criticizing yeah. science. Yeah, so that's it's been a problem for the uh, reputation of science, I guess, because the CDC says one thing and then changes its mind, or Fauci says, you know, no mask, then mask, then no mask. But in a way, okay, let's just step aside from particular individuals like Fauci and just say, in general, if you don't know what's going on, and we didn't, you know, you know, the, it was it's January 2020. 
to March is when we were kind of uh, realizing, okay, there's something big happening here. What is it? And it took a long time to figure out what's the right thing to do. There's so much uncertainty uh, and so much unpredictability in complex systems like the human body of, you know, why do some people get the virus who double vax boosted, they lead clean, healthy lives, you know, they're isolated, masked, and they get it anyway. And I know people that didn't do anything. <laughs> they didn't change their life at all. Never wore a mask, never got, and they get it. Nothing happens, right? <laughs> so it's like, okay. Because there's variation, you know, the body's a complex system and people respond differently. And so it's these are on average recommendations. And I try to be sympathetic by putting myself in somebody. If I was a public policy person, if I was the head of a, an, a health institute or I was the mayor of the city of L.A., say, or governor of California, and they stick a microphone in your face and go, OK, what do we do? So here you have kind of a type one, type two error problem, signal detection problem. If I say business as usual, and it turns out it's like Ebola or AIDS. Mm -hmm. Remember, AIDS was 100% fatal uh, at first. What if it turns out like that, you know, and I really screwed up <laughs> and it's on me. So they're more likely to err on the other side. Like let's let's uh, err on the side of making a type one error. Assume it's going to be terrible. And if it isn't, well, we got lucky. Of course, they're not calculating into the equation the effects of lockdown, isolation, masks, school closes, economic effects, and so on, which I think we're years away from knowing what the full effects will that will be. So far, it looks like it, it has damaged our economy and other things. School kids are behind and social attitudes about youngsters uh, and how they interact with each other. You know, there's some studies coming out now showing you know, these kids just coming into college now, I have freshmen myself, you know, they're very different than they were a few years ago. It's hard to say what the cause is, but social isolation during COVID might be one. Anyway, those are the kinds. Wait, of I'm curious though, how are, you, how are you seeing that manifested in your students now from say super, five years ago? Super quiet, very, very reticent to say anything. There may be, wow. some, there may be some cancel culture effects there, you know, people, because I bring up abortion, like we just did an issue on abortion. So, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, all right. Kids, let's talk about it. And they're, and they're you know, they're like, uh, uh, hey, uh. Wow. <laughs> you know, they're afraid to say anything. It's like, how can you not have an opinion on And, and you're at Chapman, which is a great defender of free speech. Yes, I mean, yes. one of the few universities that is. Yeah, so here this is reflecting more of a bottom-up kind of cultural shift, I think. Maybe they're just shy, I don't know. But, you know, uh, yesterday I, one of my student TED Talks was on uh, attractiveness, lookism. You know, why is it that good-looking people get more benefits than, than others? Like, all right, you got to have an opinion on this, right? Here's Brad Pitt. That's yeah. so unfair. What are you going to do about <laughs> Brad Pitt? You know, and they're look, like looking around like, uh, I don't want to say anything. I'm like, oh, come on, man. So it could be some of that. You know, we do know there's an uptick in uh, depression and cutting suicidal ideation, um, particularly among amongst girls. You know, is it social media? Is it Facebook? Is it social isolation during COVID, uh, you know, we, there's different factors we don't know yet, but something, there are some effects to that. I'm curious how much of this say related to COVID was people that maybe weren't qualified or in some ways were overqualified to give information, giving information. So an example I would use is right when the, the pandemic happened, I had a bunch of experts on people that are fairly well known and they were talking about how to wash your bags when you leave the grocery mm. store and perfectly 
you know, put your mask on this way and talking about social distancing, a phrase that no one had really uttered before and all of these, you know, all of these strange things and lockdowns, which really had never been done before at scale and were based on basically some wonky paper that never meant anything. But everyone just started saying the same thing. Mm. Then when we find out it doesn't work, everyone just looks at the, the expert class and goes, and I'm not talking about the Fauci's or even the CDC's, I'm just talking about the, the general people who are the tastemakers. Everyone just looks at them and, be, and is like, you guys just screwed us all terribly. <laughs> right, right. So whenever there's uncertainty about the cause of something, say autism, you know, one reason vaccines got associated with autism is because we don't know the cause of autism. We still mm -hmm. don't. Uh, there's probably multiple causes, some genetic predispositions, who knows, you know, in, in, in the womb chemistry. I don't know. You know, we don't know. But so then anything that's even loosely associated then gets uh, uh, affiliated as a causal vector. And I think we see a lot of that in pandemics like this where you just don't know. Remember the, when AIDS first came, came online, I mean, it, it, there was like panic. Oh, you shouldn't go in the swimming pool. I remember when Greg Luganis cut his head on the diving board mm -hmm. and Barbara Walters was you know, doing this private one-on-one inter -on -one interview with him. And he said, talked about this. She's, oh, my God, Greg, you went in the pool? <laughs> Right, right. Because at the time, it's like, oh, I mean, it could spread through water, the air. Don't get on a bus with an AIDS patient. You know, it's a gay disease, all this crazy stuff. There was conspiracy theories about it. The black community that the CIA was up to something uh, with AIDS. And, you know, it, but these are not completely crazy. This is under my rubric of constructive conspiracism. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the, the Tuskegee experiments where they, you know, withheld treatments to, to African-Americans with syphilis. And other shenanigans that the CIA and the FBI have done to infiltrate uh, black activist groups, to to blackmail Martin Luther King Jr. and threaten if he doesn't kill himself, they're going to expose. They made sex tapes of him in hotel rooms with women and said, we're going to play these publicly if you don't kill yourself. This is our government did this. So it's not completely crazy for people. Who, you know, I don't trust the government. It's like, yeah. Okay, I understand. <laughs> yeah. So in essence, by the end of reading this, most people will be a little more libertarian, perhaps. Because well, you do go into several yes. other examples of that, about oh, how governments oh, have yes. been doing this. Oh, yes, yes, right. MK Ultra, CAA dosing citizen, U.S. citizens with LSD just to see what would happen. They actually set up in brothels. Um, you know, they had these Johns coming and they would dose them with LSD and then watch film them having sex with prostitutes. Let's see what happens here. Right. It was all under this kind of larger plan that, uh, the, you know, you remember the missile gap. Well, this was the the mind control gap. You know, the Chinese and the Russians and the North Koreans are ahead of us on mind control uh, drugs. So we got to do experiments on this. So, again, no congressional approval. People didn't know about it. President didn't even know about it. You know, this is just like rogue. Uh, uh, factions in the in the security state doing this. So when people talk about the deep state, there's people behind the scenes doing things. Well, historically, that has happened, right? That's just MK Ultra. That's just one. This you know this um, counterintelligence program, this uh, co intel pro, uh, yeah. was yeah. another. You know, let's plant some people in these social justice groups like the Black Panthers, a AIM, the American Indian Movement feminist groups and so on, and just to make them look bad or essentially create like a false flag operation. You know, let's do it, send in one of our guys, they'll do something really stupid. And, and then, then then this will get on the show, uh, on the, in the, covered in the media, and then they'll look bad. I mean, this is like what, our, our government does this? <laughs> 
do, do you think it's odd that these things are not discussed more? I mean, you go into all of these things in the book, but you know, fringe internet people talk about these things. Guys that run Skeptic Magazine talk about these things. <laughs> but you know, in a time where we've watched the institutions fail, people would be wise to be a bit more skeptical about the information they're being fed. Yeah, you should be, right? So I, I think of it as a signal detection problem. That is the signals you're getting in versus the noise. You know, is it a real pattern or is it not? That is the pattern you think is a conspiracy theory that represents a real conspiracy. Is that true or not? And so my argument is that, well, we it's probably better to err on the side of being trigger happy, like assume it's real when it's not, because that's a less costly mistake to make than miss the real conspiracy. Somebody in your company is conspiring to hold you down or some other company is conspiring against your company or, uh, you know, whatever. Just governments do these things all the time. And I've just look at, you know, what the CIA did in, you know, rigged election. Well, the CIA used to try to rig elections in South American countries to favor fascist dictators over communist dictators because they were friendlier to American business interests in those countries. And, you know, and again, this was all under the radar. No one knew about it until, you know, decades later when it was exposed. And uh, so that's that constructive conspiracism. You should it's be. Almost, it's almost as if things might be going on now that we don't know exactly what's happening. I, I have no doubt this is the case, right? And we won't know for another 20 years. Somebody does a Freedom of Information Act uh, you know, FOIA request and finds out, oh my God, in 2022, you know what the CDC or whoever was up to? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> where, where do you think uh, social media or how do you think social media plays a part in all of this? You know, one of the things uh, just in terms of the way the Internet's structured that I always think about is I remember the Internet when it started or, you know, started on basic AOL or Prodigy or something. You go to a website, you'd get to the bottom of the page and that was it, meaning you could scroll for a certain period of time, then it would stop. Then we got infinite scroll. So mm -hmm. more and more and more kept coming. If you're on Twitter, you can go more and more and more. That rabbit hole uh, is endless now. And I think a lot of that probably also feeds a certain part of the brain that would lead people to some of these ideas. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, the history of conspiracism, there's always been conspiracy theories, nothing new there. But, but the spread of them in real time and the depth that people could go, I talk about in the book of the JFK conspiracy theorists, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, they're just meeting in little hotel conference rooms with two dozen people, and they have their little mimeograph newsletters yeah. that they mail out. You know. And so not very many people you know, knew about this or were in, into it. Now you can reach, you know, millions of people instantly in real time. And so the spread is more rapid, the, the you know, the kind of going down the rabbit hole, the, the siloing off of people into these um, uh, communities that it's hard to penetrate. Um, you know, that's that's the harder part. Is it do you think also easier to debunk? Some of these things because of the speed of information, just as fast as it can spread, it can also be debunked that much more quickly. Yeah, uh, to me, that's the only solution is that uh, because I'm not in favor of censorship or kicking people off of social media because they said the wrong thing. This doesn't help for two reasons. One, you might be wrong. And that guy that you just kicked off, he might be right. No one's omniscient. How do you know? You know, uh, John Stuart Mill, you know, it's, it's like if he who knows only his own position doesn't even know that. So mm -hmm. it's good to listen to these other people. Uh, but and then second, if you kick somebody off, you cancel culture and so on, then outsiders observing this will go, I wonder if that guy has something to say 
And because they're making such a big deal about it, right? Banned in Boston. Ooh, I want to read those banned books. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, when someone like uh, Joe Rogan has on uh, Robert Malone to talk about um, vaccines and, and cardio issues, you know, everybody made a big stink about that. It's like, well, first of all, Joe's not 60 minutes where he has to have, you know, guests on each side or whatever. It's not what he does. You know that going in. And so, but if you make a big deal about it, now everyone wants to know, well, who is this Robert Malone guy? And what is his argument? Because no one seems to debunk it. They just say, oh, it was bad. He had him on. Well, okay. What is the problem? Somebody should say, here's the argument and here's the response. And, and, and what's, what's so interesting about that is if you remember, so he has Dr. Malone on who had, I think, if I'm not mistaken, more patents on mRNA technology than anybody. I mean, it's not like this guy's a kook, right? right. So he has him on. The media goes crazy about it because he's talking about ivermectin and all of these things. And then you remember what happened about four days later where suddenly we had a week of Joe Rogan saying the N-word and should Joe Rogan be deplatformed off Spotify and everywhere else? And that, I think, led, to, led people to believe, you know, I don't even know that this is a conspiracy theory, but that there was some sort of coordinated attack by the corporate press on Rogan, like he was becoming too influential. Mm. So it behooved CNN to push these, oh, Joe Rogan's a racist stories because he's moving in on their territory. I don't know if that's a conspiracy. I mean, I don't have all, I don't have the documents from Zucker <laughs> at CNN, but it feels like something that's kind of there. I suspect that's not a, a top-down conspiracy like we think of a conspiracy theory of, you know, the Illuminati or somebody power, cigarette smoking people behind closed doors or calling the shots. And the reason I'm skeptical of most of those theories is because the world is too complex. There's too much randomness. There's too much chaos from the bottom up and no one can control it. No one's in control. This is part of my, my theory is that it, it's one thing to be a, a, a little afraid or anxious about. There's some cabal going on of 12 people called the Illuminati running the world and doing a crappy job of it. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's quite another to think actually nobody's in control. Right there, the, the, no one can explain the economy, why wars break. I mean, I don't think Putin even knows if he's going to use tactical nukes or not, let alone Biden or our Defense Department. Or I don't think anybody knows. It's just impossible to know. So Do you I think, view that as is that scarier or more comforting if well, nobody's I, in control? I, I like it because I'm kind of libertarian in my personal attitudes, and I, it's okay with me. But people that prefer a structured, hierarchical worldview that's predictable, they're, they're not. And they tend to be more conspiratorial in their thinking, a little more paranoid, a little more suspicious that there's things going on. And again, things do go on. So uh, how do you know? Well, my little test is, you know, the more people that have to be involved in the conspiracy, the less likely the theory is true. The more components that have to come together just at the right time in the right place. Again, it's probably not likely if, it, if, if a lot of things have to happen because, again, chance, chaos, uh, contingency accidents, you know, people just don't do what they're supposed to do. You know, I'm, I remember that when my first book came out, I went on G. Gordon Liddy's radio show in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., why people believe weird things. So, and I discussed conspiracies a little bit in there, and he, he asked me about it, and I said, well, you're the expert. <laughs> you're Mr. Watergate. And he, he says, well, actually, most conspiracies are a bunch of baloney. Conspiracy theories are because people can't keep their mouth shut, and most people are incompetent. And, you know, so this is like 9-11 truth. You know, the Bush administration was in on 9-11. Let it happen on purpose, lie up, or made it happen on purpose, my up. Well, in fact, negative evidence, WikiLeaks, you know, millions of classified documents, not mm -hmm. one, not one document about 
9-11 or we know they're coming or we're going to let it happen or you know, planting explosive, nothing, right? So that tells me if, if it was an inside job and these were classified documents, we would predict that there should be some leakage there. There isn't. Because most conspiracies, we do find out about them, right? Lincoln was assassinated by a conspiracy. We knew within hours who did it. Same thing with Kennedy. I mean, Oswald was discovered within an hour. We They had him at that theater. And so the, we find out about these things. But not one person wants to go on record about, you know, the fake moon landing or 9-11 is an inside job or not one. So that's very probably not true. What would you say about something like the, the Hunter Biden laptop story where, you know, New York Post, which is generally thought of as a reputable news organization, they say this is true. They, you know, they have their sources, et cetera. Big tech, Twitter particularly comes in. You can't share these stories. You can't even share them through your own private messaging, your own direct messaging on our platform. Then other platforms start doing it as well. Of course, it all turns out to be legit and there's a lot of pretty pretty bad stuff on there, some nasty stuff on there. Um, I think a lot of people see that as, they see that as a coordinated conspiracy, that, that in essence, that thing was going to be damaging to Joe Biden. They wanted Joe Biden to be president. They wanted to be rid of Trump. We accept that big tech can just get in on this. Like, does that, is that a conspiracy or is yeah, that- Yeah, Yeah. That's an interesting example. Cause here, it, it would be a conspiracy in the traditional sense if, say the news networks called each other and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to run the story. Are you going to run the story? Uh, I won't run it if you won't run it. If that was shown, that would be a more traditional definition of a conspiracy. More likely is, is more of kind of a cultural shift or trend. We're all liberals. We want to protect our guy. And so we're just going to bury the story. You know, I'm going to do it and you're going to do it. We, it's kind of common knowledge. I don't have to call you up. You just know that, you know, we're going to kind of work together to support our guy or criticize the other guy. That's more normal. That, that happens, I think, a lot uh, without the concerted top down, you know, private phone calls kind of messaging to coordinate the effort. That, that would be my suspicion for that for that one. You know, when when Alex Jones was banned after. Was he banned after Sandy Hook or was he banned after? Or it yeah, no, it, it, it was. Yeah, it was after Sandy Hook for sure. It, yeah, well, I know it was after Sandy Hook. I don't remember if that was like the full impetus for it. But whenever he got banned by everybody within within a day or so, I actually had Teal, Peter Teal on my show the next day. And I asked him privately. He, I, he has since said it publicly. I said, well, what do you think happened here? You know, did they all coordinate? And he said, I think you'll appreciate this. He said, actually, what he thought was, well, you know, once one of them did it, once Twitter, I think Twitter did it first, then it, it was just the signal to everybody else, just just go ahead and do it. Like now right, we, the era, right. we took the hit, we did it. So it's not a coordinated phone call right. conspiracy that you're talking about, but it is, it, it's some other level related to fear and, and manipulation and how we all operate, I suppose. It's, uh, here's an analogy, an athlete gets busted for doping or some you know horrible thing they did and Nike drops them and then within an hour, Everybody else drops him. Yeah. Now, I don't think Nike called any of the other companies that you got to drop the guy. They all look around and go, well, we better go, you know, what everybody, the big guy's doing and, and show our support for or a criticism of this athlete or whatever it is. What, so uh, part two of the, the way you lay out the book is how to determine which conspiracies are real. So we're, we're sort of bouncing around a lot of that in the, in the political sense. What about in just, and let's get away from politics for a second, just every other sense. There's aliens and Area mm. 51 and mm. all, all the other stuff that we're all, how do you figure out what's real? You know, somebody visited you at night and they poked, they're always 
pronging people and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, right. So some of the criteria I mentioned already, you know, how many people have to be involved, uh, how many elements have to come together, just the right uh, moment, how typical how conspiracies really unfold. I went into detail in that chapter on what triggered the First World War, which was a group of Serbian nationalists called the Black Hand who conspired to assassinate uh, uh, Franz Ferdinand, the heir apparent of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, who was leaning on Serbia to control them and so on. So this was a cabal for sure. They met in secret. They plotted for months. You know, Each of the seven guys had to go to a certain house and give the code word, and then they get the weapon, a pistol or a hand grenade, and so on. And and uh, you know, one guy didn't. He went to the wrong house. Another guy chickened out. Somebody else, you know, got the weapon but went to the wrong place on the parade route where he's supposed to stand. And then finally, some guy actually was able to pull the pin on the grenade and throw it, but it bounced off the the, the archduke's back of his car, rolled under the car behind him, and blew up there. And so these people got hurt. Oh no! And then the car zooms off, and he goes off to his little meeting, gives a speech, says, "Thanks a lot. I come here to to Sarajevo, and you guys throw bombs at me." And then and then he leaves, and then said, "Hey, we better go back to the hospital and check on our comrades." So the driver goes back down the same road that they were at, and he turns right on the Alpel Quay, the main uh, drag there, where the cons the last conspirator, this Gabriel uh, Princip, was sitting there despondent, eating a sandwich from this deli, and he's got his pistol in his pocket, and he's like, well, that was a big fuck up, nothing happened. And then all of a sudden, here comes the car, and the car makes a wrong turn, and there was no reverse in it, so the driver puts it in neutral and just backs up at like one mile an hour, right in front of this Gabriel Pritchett. He's like, oh my God, bam, dead. That's how these things normally go, right? You know, I mean, Nixon with the, with the you know, the G-men and the FBI couldn't even break into the Democratic Hotel at Watergate, <laughs> right? right? I mean, again, if, if, if those guys can't do it, and it, by my example, that's how things usually go, the more complex it has to be, the less likely uh, the theory is true. 9-11 truth, impossible. I mean, you'd, first of all, you'd have to have hundreds of people involved to break through the drywall of the World Trade Center building uh, rooms to get into the structural beams and wrap them in these explosive devices, you know, which is how it's done. You know, they, they abandon uh, buildings that they demolish. They have to break them apart and put the explosive devices in there. Nobody saw that. How did, you know, oh, they operated under the pretense of being elevator repair. It's like, I mean, now you're just hand-waving, you know, it's just crazy. And not one person wants to go on 60 Minutes and say, I knew somebody, I was dating this guy, and he told me all about the 9-11. Oh, my God, I got to have a book. I have a book out about, you know, nobody, you know, has come forth. Very, very unlikely. As opposed to 19 members of Al-Qaeda with box cutters. See, so, so there's kind of a disparate effect between cause and effect, you know. The bigger the effect, the bigger the cause to match it, or else we, you know, it just doesn't feel right. So you get, you know, JFK killed by who? This Lee Harvey Oswald, the lone nut. That doesn't feel right. So you had KGB and the FBI and the Russians and the Cubans and the mafia, and now it feels better. Princess Diana, cause of death: drunk driving, speeding, no seatbelt. Tens of thousands of people die like that every year, but princesses are not supposed to die like that, right? So it's got to be the MI6 and the royal family and Prince Charles and blah, whoever, you know, is supposed to be in on this. And I think that there's a, an effect like that. Like, there's no way Al-Qaeda could have done that. That's the actually the only way that could happen. Just somebody in the nooks and crannies of a free society that no one notices, th that's how you get away with stuff. 
You know, it's funny because you can also see how through pop culture some of this stuff leaks in. I mean, obviously the movie JFK was absolutely massive and I'm sure you, well, I have no doubt that you don't agree with the conclusions that Oliver Stone was putting forth in the movie. But even uh, I was watching The Crown on Netflix a year or so ago and in the last season where there's a lot about Princess Di, uh, you know, in essence, you're watching the thing and you're kind of like, yeah, it seems like they wanted to kill her and, <laughs> and you know, then she ends up dead. So it yeah. just sort of just sits there and, and you could ruminate about all of these things. Of course, that's a hindsight bias. You know, every, tons of people hated Obama, but he was assassinated. So end of story. No one's talking about what, what happened to those people. Why didn't they kill him? Well, it's hard to kill a president, right? <laughs> Plenty of people off. would have been glad to take out Donald Trump. You know, Michael, I'm reminded of a couple of years ago, we've told the story once or twice publicly, but uh, we were at Arizona, I think we were at Arizona State oh, right. University, if I'm not mistaken, we're doing a talk on free speech. And I, at the top of the show, I say to the audience, I don't know, a couple hundred kids there, I say, you know, how many Democrats, how many Republicans, how many Libertarians? And then I said, how many Nazis? Just to get a laugh. And one person stood up in the back and said that they were a Nazi. And I think you said, hey, you know, if you just wait to the end, we'll, we'll take your question first and that'll be interesting and let's see what happens. So that we end our, our talk and then we take the question from the Nazi and the Nazi had all these conspiracy theories about the Holocaust and the gas chambers and all of this stuff. I should also mention, it turned out that the Holocaust denier was also trans, which is just sort of an interesting detail, I suppose. Uh, but what you did, I thought was really beautiful because you, you just flat out uh, explained why the conspiracy theory was not a conspiracy at all. Right, and to me, that's the way to handle these kinds of things. I mean, if you tell them to shut up or sit down or, or silence them or kick them out, then onlookers are gonna go, well, what's the story with that? What, what's the problem with that argument? So you got to, at some point, you got to address the argument, which I did in my book on that. And, and you'd and, been, the, you'd been to the concentration camps, right? You'd yes, been to Poland yes. where you, can you explain a little bit about that? Just, uh, just sort of. Oh, well, so yeah, Holocaust denial or revisionism, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're, they're not saying, they're not claiming that no Jews were, were killed or died. They're just downgrading from 6 million to about a million, maybe 500,000. So it's, so it's a clever strategy because no matter what photos you show, like here's a bodies stacked like cordwood at this concentration camp. How do you explain that? Oh, that's part of the half million I'm willing to admit died of disease and starvation and overwork and so on. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, what about these gas chambers? Oh, those were used for delousing clothing. Okay, well, what's the difference between a delousing chamber and a homicidal gas chamber? There is a difference, but you have to know something about that, right? So it does require some knowledge. Like, could you, could you explain how, why the flat earthers are wrong? Could you explain why creationists are wrong? Holocaust deniers are wrong, whatever. So you have to, so that's kind of what we specialize in at Skeptic. You know, what What are the best arguments the 9-11 truthers actually have? And what are, what's your response? How do uh, controlled demolition buildings fall? Do they fall from the top down or the bottom up? It's the bottom up, the opposite of what we saw in the videos. Okay, so, but you have to know that kind of art, little bit of detailed arcane knowledge. And so I did that with the Holocaust and, and you know, it's harder to prove intention, but there's enough memos from Hitler, Himmler, Git Goebbels, and so on, that indicate they, they after 1941, they intended to exterminate European Jewry. It was not just an accidental byproduct of the war. And um, and then finally, that the gas chambers were used, well, there's six death camps. Um, hey, here's another trick that the revisionists use. Well, at, right after the war, they said there were 21 death camps. Now they say there's only six. The ever-diminishing death camps, pretty soon it'll be zero. No, this is how history normally works, right? You have the kind of real-time reporting by journalists, and then 
the first round of, of books after an event or a war, then the second round and so on. That's when you get more information, you change your mind, right? So, okay, it's six. And you can go there and you can, you can measure the uh, Zyklon blue, blue staining on the bricks at Maidonic, for example, and see, well, that was the chamber where they killed people. It's very different from the ones where they deloused clothing. And you just kind of go through all that. Now, when somebody at this point says, I still think the Jews uh, you know, are up to no good, it's like, all right, so now you want to talk about the Jews and not the Holocaust, right? So you have to kind of bore down to see what the deeper motive is, you know, like, like with QAnon or Pizzagate. You know, there's no possible way somebody could really believe that, except that one guy, Edgar Welch, who went there with a gun to that comet ping pong. So when most people say they believe it, they mean something else. Like, I don't like Democrats. I don't trust that Hillary. You know, the Clintons are evil. I just, don't, you know, such that if I took you to the pizza gate, the pizza place and showed you there's no pedophile ring, here's not even a basement. It's not like you're going to go, oh, in that case, I'll vote for Hillary. <laughs> you were never right. going to vote for Hillary. So. Right. And I remember after that incident at Arizona State, when, when we were all breaking up, I think you started, you continued to talk to the, to the woman. And in essence, I asked you after, well, do you think you convinced her of anything? And, and you basically were like, no, that's, that's not really how it works because, because the deprogramming, no matter how much you offer, in some ways is almost impossible to get to. Which that's I think right. is sort of what part that's three right. of the book is about. That's right. Yeah. All you can do is plant a seed of doubt. Like, how did you get that? idea, where did it come from, what was the source, what's the quality of the evidence, how do you know that's true versus some other hypothesis, what it would take to change your mind, and so on. It's like cult deprogramming. Back in the 90s, they were, you know, doing this, you know, kidnapping the person from the cult and locking them up in a hotel room and showing them videos or whatever. It didn't work, because that's not how it works. You know, the people, no one joins a cult, they join a group that they think is a good thing, Right. And then, you know, months or years later, they're down the rabbit hole and they, they didn't even realize how extreme they got. So it's not going to happen overnight. You just have to plant a little seed like, huh, interesting. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, I did wonder, though, I have the, I call it the, Col the Columbo thing. I, I have just one more question. <laughs> you know, the detective Columbo. Yeah. I, OK, just I'm about to leave, but I just thought yeah. of one more thing I was going to ask you. And you have you know, to wear a, uh, a brown <laughs> trench coat when yeah. you're doing that or a tan <laughs> trench coat. Turn right. around and say it. Right. I'm curious, do you have a certain degree of sympathy as you're writing a book like this, a certain degree of sympathy for the people that fall into these traps? Because, you know, if you look again, if we bring it back to the news, if you look at the, the way the mainstream media for a year said that Brett Kavanaugh is a serial rapist, turned out not to be true. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist, turned out not to be true. Uh, Jesse Smollett was going to be lynched or got attacked by those two guys. Turned out he hired them. Uh, Donald Trump, very fine people on both sides. Yes, the sentence after was, um, you know, I, I completely condemn white supremacists. All of these things that lead, I think, a certain set of good people to perhaps come to wrong conclusions, but actually I'm not even gonna say that always. I think in some ways they then come to the right conclusion. But I, but I always say I have sympathy for the people that are just like, yeah, these people are lying to us about so much. Mm -hmm. What else do you expect from us? Yeah, exactly. So that's why the, you know, journalism has to st uh, stick to this strict ethic of fact-checking and double fact-checking and multiple sources and so on, and they don't do that if, if it fits a particular narrative. Of course, we're, we're highlighting the, the big stories they got wrong. Most of the stories they get right that are not that big or important. Uh, we you know kind of fly under the radar and we don't notice those. So most journalists, most of the time, are just doing their job. Uh, it's the big ones that stand out. And it's in particular, if it fits a narrative, 
of your department, then you probably should ask for another source or maybe let's wait a day. But, you know, the the, the economic model is you, you can't wait a day, right? We got to get this out before the other blogger gets it out or the other network, right? So, um, yeah. And again, you know, you you toggle between the, the three major networks on the news every night, which I do. Uh, it seems like there's a script. They all, the same stories, yeah, it's like the yeah. same order. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't call each other, go, well, okay, I'm going to cover this one first, which, you know, which order are you going to put it? It's just how the, the system works. And I just, you know, I wish it was different or, you know, there was just more subtlety or more, I don't know, caution, skepticism. Michael, can you stick around for a one more thing for my locals community? Because oh, yeah, I want to sure. I want to yeah, specifically yeah. ask you about my favorite conspiracy theory. We'll do that on locals. Uh, but the book is Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. And uh, we'll link to it right down below. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubenreport.locals.com.